This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett, CSW. I'm here with two new guests who have not been on this podcast before. I'm Greg Gonerman with Laramita Cellars. I'm Ginger McKenzie, the owner of Vino Zona in Jerome. And uh, today we are talking about New Hampshire. What we have here today is the Pockham Hill Winery 2015 Marquette New Hampshire Table Wine. If you want to read the back of that label for me, Greg. Okay. Uh, Located in southwestern New Hampshire, our vines grow in clay and gravel laid down by Lake Hitchcock that existed over 10,000 years ago. The farm was built in the early 1800s. An antique barn houses the winery. He goes on to say that Marquette is a medium-bodied red wine with attractive, a deep red color, aromas of, of cherry, blackcurrant, uh, etc., etc. What matters is what, what do we think of? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, tasting notes are always more like a guideline, really, than anything. I will say that I don't get as dark of an impression on the nose with this wine as the label suggests. I'm getting more of a red fruit character. Uh, Ginger, you had a, a cool thing to say about this wine. It's a very, it's medicinal. It's got a little menthol, a little pine cone, a little forest floor. It's got all of that, and I'm also getting like red currants, rose hip. It's changing a lot. Yeah. As it's in the glass. Absolutely. It's like my, really changed a lot now. My first impression on the nose was of uh, some ca- red mm. red candied, maybe candied uh, cranberries, um, but it's it's opening up and it's evolving uh, yeah. as we've been sampling it. It's, and you mentioned medicinal, and that's an important note. This is a hybrid, and most red hybrids have a medicinal or herbaceous quality to them. That's kind of something that uh, distinguishes them from uh, European varietals. Now that it's been in the glass for a second, I almost get a little bit of licorice. Just to I could see a that. Hint of it of and it's definitely licorice. It's not like the anise that I get in a no, lot of Arizona red. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of the hybrid character of Marquette, Janice Robinson reports that this is a complex hybrid of MN1094 and Ravat 262, uh, created by Peter Hanstead and James Luby of the University of Minnesota's Horticultural Research Center in Excelsior, United States, in which, this is a long list, guys, MN1094 is a hybrid between MN1019 and MN1016, MN1019 is a Riparia 64 and Carmine hybrid, in which Riparia 64 is a Vitus Riparia wine selected at Geisenheim, uh, which we have no idea where it is, but we're guessing it's a university in Germany, for root as a for use as a rootstock. Then MN1016 is a Mandan and Landonoir hybrid. Mandan is a Wilder and Vitus Riparia hybrid. Wilder is a Carter and Schiavagrosa hybrid. Carter is an offspring of Isabella and an unknown parent, selected by Charles Carter in Virginia. And then Ravat 262, or Ravat Noir, is a Sabelle 8365 and Pinot Noir hybrid. <laughs> it's so... It's, it's a bit of a mutt. It's a bit all, much. That's all super geeky. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the, the point, the takeaway is it is <laughs> a, a grandchild way. of Pinot Noir, and it's a hybrid, complex hybrid, of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Ooh, eight, Pinot Noir. eight different... Grape species. And it's relatively new. You said it was released in 89? Yeah, well, no, not even. Uh, it was selected in 1994, and it was tested until 2005 when it was named after Père Marquette, who was a 17th century Jesuit missionary uh, and explorer in, in the Great Lakes area. And it was officially released for vineyard use 
uh, in 2006. So this is a, a baby mm. in terms of varietals compared to things like, uh, you know, the opposite extreme uh, would be the Raketsley that we dabbled in in the uh, Massachusetts episode, which is one of the oldest grape varietals originally from the Republic of Georgia. So this is the opposite spectrum. And it's really good. Very, it very new. Good. It's, it's a nice, nice example. The important point here is this is from New Hampshire. It is a hybrid. And I have been, traveled to New Hampshire several times. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody is growing uh, European vinifera uh, varieties in, in New Hampshire. It's just too cold. It gets down to minus 10, minus 15 degrees in the wintertime pretty reliably. And that's cold enough to kill, I, I believe, all European vinifera varieties. The only one that remotely can survive temperatures that cold, and I think it is still a hybrid, uh, is Kerner, which can survive uh, minus 6, Oh, apparently. So Genesis Robinson said at one point. Okay. But uh, history. So the history of uh, New Hampshire wine is not actually that much older, really, than this grape. According to uh, Hudson Cattell uh, from Wines of Eastern North America, uh, New England's first winery in modern times was White Mountain Winery in Laconia, New Hampshire. Uh, they bonded their winery in 1969 after planting 800 French hybrid wines, vines, excuse me, in 1965 and 1,000 more the following year. In 1982, the winery was sold to Bill DeMore, who, uh, or sorry, it was attempted to be sold in 1982. It was finally bought in 1991. It was renamed to New Hampshire Winery and moved it to Heinlicher. Heinecker? Heinecker. Uh, and then the winery closed a few years later due to financial issues. So uh, 1994 was when it restarted again when Jewel Town Vineyards in Southampton became the first of two new wineries to open. And it was, uh, that vineyard was right at the state line between New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Uh, they planted in 1982, and they planted, uh, originally, uh, 60 varieties of grapes to test. And they were narrowed down to 20. Uh, and then their production increased between 1994 and 2004 from 40 cases to 2,000. And he was, this guy, uh, Old Doc, was... Re- Instrumental in starting New Hampshire Winery Association Act in 2006. One thing that struck me on my travels to New Hampshire, I had the opportunity to speak with a number of different winemakers and uh, winery owners, and it's how similar their issues are with what we have here, and that is trying to figure out what are the best varieties for for them to grow and for them to sell and how they can collaborate on marketing uh, activities successfully. And then they have issues with some wineries bringing in California fruit, and marketing it as a as a genuine New Hampshire product, um, so it's, it's it's kind of a similar you know some similar challenges to what we face here in Arizona. And one of the interesting things things that struck me when you were reading the back of this label earlier about the geography, um, you know, much well not much, but about seventy four seventy five percent of uh, Arizona's wines are coming from the Wilcox AVA, and a lot of that is coming from the Wilcox Bench, which is the shoreline of an ancient lake that's about the same age as the glacial lake that's mentioned on this label. So there's another weird similarity. Do they have the elevation as well? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, My guess is that it would be a much... I've never been to New Hampshire, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Nor have I. Well, I've been to Laconia, but uh, I wasn't there for wine. I was there for church stuff back when I was in seminary. uh, My parish assignment was... uh, a parish in Laconia, New Hampshire. But, they, uh, they do have some tall mountains in New Hampshire, but I think uh, I think most of the vineyards are actually relatively low uh, in lower lying areas. Um, I, in, in driving around the state, you know, looking at their uh, how rugged the terrain is, how rocky 
uh, some of the sites are. It, it's, it struck me that there should be some great places to grow grapes if it wasn't so gosh darn yeah. cold. Yeah. But, uh, you know, new varietals are being released all the time from these vineyards and, and production sites and universities in Minnesota and whatnot. Talking to a friend of mine who's a winemaker in neighboring Vermont, uh, who's the winemaker for the label that I was telling you about, Iapetus. Uh, he's got grapes that don't even have names yet that they're testing out and making wine from them and testing to see what they'll do. Uh, and he may or may not actually bottle them because he says these are really good. How I'm going to label these, I don't know. But they're good enough, I think, that to sell or label. Which uh, is another challenge, I think, uh, is marketing. And uh, Ginger, you can, you can reflect on this more than we can, or more than I can anyway, because you have a tasting room where you're selling wines, and familiarity is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. And giving people a reference point. Like, if they know the winemaker and where they came from, and a little, little bit of layman's terms about the grapes and the wine, they have a reference point then to taste. So I usually will tell the story before I even pour the wine. So if they have a good reference point in their mind, they kind of know what to expect that way. They're not surprised by some of the more uh, obscure grapes that I have in wines like Graziano. I explain all about the Graziano so they have a nice uh, place to start from. You know, people come in and they, they want their, you know, standard 10 varietals. Yeah. Um, yeah, you kind of have to give them a reference so that they can go from there. So, you know, marketability is great, but if you're growing a place that doesn't do your standard grapes that everybody knows, and Arizona is like New Hampshire in that aspect, simply because a lot of these grape varietals that do very well are not ones that... Well, yeah. even people that drink wine frequently haven't heard of Tanat or Graciano yeah. or Patimon. Or Ionico. Ionico, we... yeah. yeah. Yep. We do great. That's my favorite. But yeah. I don't know, Graciano might be... We're getting a little sidetracked. This is delicious. Yeah, I I really want to see how this would open up long term. I wish we, we had thought to decant this, but... Oh, we could run it through the wine breather real quick, if you Ooh, want to. Good. Let me mm. do that. I, as mine opened up, I just got heavy on the rhubarb, but I grew up in South Dakota, so mm. I love all things rhubarb. <laughs> That's probably why I picked that In that out. case, you should uh, tag along when I record uh, the South Dakota wine, because the South what? Dakota wine I have is a rhubarb wine. I didn't even know there was a thing. <laughs> yep. I'm also waiting for Gary to come up for that episode because we're going to, in that episode, talk about, well, what is wine, really? <laughs> because this is something that is made from a vegetable, ostensibly. Why are we calling this a wine? And that sort of thing. But that's neither well, here make, nor there. You can make anything out of rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is getting a, a sort of rhubarb character on the palate. Yeah, the herbaceousness is turning into actual... Herbs and, yeah. and veggies and, and cool things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's um, some other herb from my childhood it's reminding me of, but I can't think of what it is. It'd be interesting to see what this wine would be like another five or ten years from now. I know in particular with Norton, which is a much older accidental hybrid, uh, possibly accidental hybrid, um, it uh, it evolved, it changes over over five, six, seven years. It can change quite a bit, and a lot of that herbaceousness uh goes away over time. Interesting, yeah. So what we're doing right now is this is actually the first time we've done this for a, a, a Make America Grape Again podcast, is decanting. So if one of you guys want to talk about exactly what decanting is and why it's important, uh, jump on in. Go right ahead. Uh, well, we were introducing some oxygen, uh, and uh, it, it, wine can become a lot more expressive once you've uh, decanted, once you've introduced a little bit of oxygen. 
Um, it's a lot of uh, chemistry happening here. And this is the wine breather, so this simulates like being in an actual decanter for about two hours, but it does it in two minutes. It doesn't force air into the wine like an aerator does. It just sort of lets it naturally come in contact with the oxygen. And so I found in my tasting room, this is the best way to showcase the wine in its best light um, and quickly mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. without having it sitting around all day. In, in a, in and of course, in summer, you got to worry about fruit fuzz getting near decanter and yeah. stuff, but you don't so have to worry about that. This is perfect. Um, these are handmade in Denmark, and just it's a fabulous uh, decanter, actually. Yeah, again, the color in this is just so dark and vibrant. Uh, you'd almost expect a wine like this to have more tannins than it does, and I wasn't getting really any tannin no. character. No, Tan there is. Tans are very I soft. Was like... uh, the, online, they say that this was aged on French oak, and we don't know if that means aged in French barrels or simply with oak chips, but uh, you don't really get much of an oak. No, uh, I didn't yeah, not much in the way of oak tannins. No, yeah, no oak tannins really, uh, and there was some oak flavor character, but it wasn't overbearing. And now I, I'm getting, now I'm getting the darker fruits that they were talking about—the blackberry, the little black currant. Did it open it up real nice? One bit. Yeah, it's it's a much different wine. Oh yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So decanting basically is I want to age my wine be in a space of time between two minutes and two hours to. X number of years later, basically, uh, in, in a nutshell, is, is another great way to describe decanting. That's how I like to talk about it with people when I'm in the tasting room. It's like, here, I'm going to age this wine five years and 30 seconds with this wow, that, aerator. That almost took the herbaceousness out yeah. of it. That aged it. In it a absolutely way. did. Yeah. The it's richer now. There's a little bit of leather and smoke in there that I Yeah, this is definitely a wine that could have aged. The mid, yeah. the mid palate is, is much, much deeper, much, mm. it's, it's much more interesting. Mm. Oh yeah, it really, it really that took that out. That was a good call, out. Ginger. I like that. That was a good call. Mm. Glad you brought that up. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't run like I have a 2013 in my tasting room. I don't put that through the wine breather, but anything that's a little bit um, of a younger, medium body to deep red, I definitely always run it through, mm. and it makes all the difference in the world. It's the acidity is starting to show through too now, which I wasn't really noticing before. It's a little deeper. Yeah, it's, it's grabbing you by the mm. by the scruff of your beard, or scruff of my beard, It anyway. tastes like it just aged three years in like two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It did. It did. Mm. You know, you could pair That's this with... a whole different wine now. You know, before I was kind of struggling what to, to pair with it, but now after it's decanted, you you could pair this with steak. You could, definitely. Um, it doesn't have the tannins the way Cab does, but the flavor w works well, I think. I would go with duck or pork. Uh, pork, especially. With It'd a be... pineapple, maybe roasted pineapple mm. on top, pineapple glaze. That would be good. That would be. Or maybe if we want to do a a, south, uh, a northeastern thing and, and keep uh, the theme, maybe a pork with a blueberry jammed glaze. Oh, that sounds good, too. Yeah. Keep keep local with local, mm -hmm. which, yeah. which is always fun to do, for me, anyway. Um, I can't oh. think of a cigar offhand I would pair with this. Uh, maybe a, a Connecticut uh, uh, Sun Grown, something a little bit lighter that would mesh well with these flavors, uh, or or something medium bodied like a Habano. But uh, I'm craving cheesecake. <sighs> yeah, this with <laughs> a lemon blueberry cheesecake. I am definitely craving a cheesecake. It's just got those deep, deep, deep berries. Mm -hmm. 
It makes you want something sweet, a little bit sweet, That's, too. That'd be an interesting, uh, interesting combination. And I think it has good acidity, which would cut through yeah. the uh, richness Which you can taste yeah. now at first. Like, yeah, like I was saying, the, the acidity yeah. wasn't noticeable before. Yeah. Wow, this is like a nice, medium-bodied red now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really come around. And a lot of people say, mm-hmm. you know, well, not a lot of people, but I've seen a lot of psalms. And, you know, so-called professional, like, psalms, people are like, oh, you can't make good wine from French-American hybrids. And it's just like, um... That's good. This is good. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're talking about, dude, because uh, clearly you're on crack and you're not sharing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is delicious. Yeah, I'm looking forward to spending some time this with this bottle tonight. Be a little stingy. This is true. Well, most crack people are. Mm. Yeah, this is great. So, uh, really nice. so thank what, you. Really uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this today. What other hybrids have you had? What other red hybrids in particular have you had? Uh, the only other red hybrids I've had, um, Norton, which I'm very on the fence about. I've had some that I can see why people like, mm. but I've never truly liked a Norton myself. Most of the Nortons I've had have been uh, underwhelming, sort of whiny, vaguely manipulative, kind of like some of my exes. Um, whiny, like they complain. Yeah, it just—it feels like this is a wine that would complain about everything going wrong in this <laughs> bottle of Norton. Well, I, I think okay. you—I think you've had some bad experiences. I, I agree. I, I know I have because <laughs> I've had a lot of Nortons, and from a, a well, a very competent winemaker with a fair amount of age, five or six years, they really can be a wonderful. Yeah, wine. and I, I will say that the first wine we started this podcast out with was also Norton from Kentucky, mm-hmm. and that one was the first Norton I've had that actually impressed me. It's like. I don't like this, but I can recognize that this is a good, well-made wine, and I can see why people really like this as a varietal. And now I actually want to explore more Nortons over time. It's just time. not your jam. It's, it's just not my jam. Yeah. Um, I've also had Chamberson, which uh, was the last episode that I posted uh, two episodes ago. Uh, that's a complex or a less complex French-American hybrid. I can't remember between what offhand. That was from Nebraska. I've had another hybrid red from grown somewhere in nebraska i can't remember the varietal it might have actually been regent come to think of it and how far are you through your make america grape again state tour uh i just posted today uh as of day of recording episode 32 uh this is episode 34 um so i've got a few states left to go for season one and then season two obviously will repeat the process in a different order mm-hmm. and season three will repeat the process in a still so different order are there good wines from south dakota i don't know i haven't tried south oh, dakota yet to check it out Seems uh, like they'd all be sweet uh i don't know anything other yeah. than three people came to me both in the tasting room and outside the tasting room trying this wine uh it's the wild ass rhubarb from a winery, Prairie something winery in South Dakota, and all of them said independently, none of them knew each other, oh, if you try South Dakota, you need to try this wine. And so I, I grabbed it. I be a part of the wild-ass rhubarb. I, I, I like rhubarb. I can, I can make that happen. Mm. So uh, going back to New Hampshire for a second, so it sounds like we're giving the Pukum Hill Winery Marquette 2015 a, a thumbs up. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 This so, is two thumbs up. This is not just one thumb. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, this may good. actually well be the best hybrid red I've I've had. Definitely the best complex hybrid. I think what we've learned here is we need to decan it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was good before, but it was totally different. Yeah, totally different and, and yeah. markedly it just better. Put some 
put some bottom end into yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, guys, unless do we have anything else to say about this wine? I don't think so. Well, in that so, case, let's toast. It delicioso. Make America grape again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. One more.